Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Today, we're going to tap into a, an interesting discussion, uh, new media production, digital uh, media production. And it's very interesting um, as an application because basically what we're saying is we're taking uh, traditional television and uh, turning it on its head in terms of how uh, content is produced and how it is uh, distributed out to, uh, to the various audiences. And today I'm very happy to have uh, Bruce Montgomery uh, on the show, who is the CEO and founder of Technology Access Television. And, and since 1999, uh, his digital media production organization has been uh, covering developments in, in technology uh, integrated with education, business, community development, and uh, helping nonprofit organizations be more effective at getting their their messages out, and I feel like he is a very good person to talk about sort of us on the brink of a new age of television and media in general uh, as a result, or I should say accelerated by uh, the, the growth in uh, high-speed Internet access networks, uh, particularly gigabit networks. Bruce, welcome to the show. Welcome, Craig. Thanks so much for this opportunity. I'm uh, delighted to be able to spend some time with you and talk about this exciting uh, convergence of activities. So let's start with digital media production. I think folks probably have a, a generally decent idea of what this is, but let's be clear that we're all on the same page. What is that, and what does it mean for this type of um, activity to, to get communities involved with that, this kind of production? Well, when I talk about digital media, really I talk about uh, all forms of um, recording and producing and generating content, whether it's uh, animation, whether it's uh, music and audio, whether it's uh, video content, uh, the, the activity of producing uh, uh, editing, sharing, and distributing content is obviously completely changed from the paradigm of, of, of years past. And so now, uh, be it you know the music industry, be it the film and television, be it uh, again animation, all of these have changed. And now, the production, the distribution, the consumption of this content, this digital media content, now is available to us in so many different forms or flavors. Uh, so people that uh, grew up, uh, you know, listening to uh, CDs or grew up uh, watching television in front of a set or, uh, you know, doing certain kinds of things, now we're, we've been freed up to where we clearly have a always-on society and culture. And always-on uh, is symbolic of uh, so many different ways in which we can produce and consume this, this content and is creating amazing, unprecedented opportunities for all those that choose to be involved. Mm -hmm. So it's a redefining of the basics of communication TV, radio, uh, entertainment, uh, and, and, and using technology to re, uh, I guess, rebirth all of these particular um, uh, communication avenues for, for folks. Well, yes. You know, a, a friend of mine, um, you know, there's, there's been seemingly a revolution every other uh, year in, in this field. Uh, you know, there was the, you know, the Ethernet revolution and the uh, desktop revolution and the uh, laptop revolution and the Wi-Fi revolution. And all of, all of these revolutions and counter-revolutions keep bringing just un unparalleled opportunities. But a friend of mine many years ago made a statement, you know, he said, eventually people are going to understand that they have an opportunity to be more than just consumers. In fact, they have a responsibility to be producers. 
And so it's one thing to go surf the web and to check all different websites out, but it's another thing to produce content on the web that other people can check out. And he said, I believe that the value is when people get into that balance of being both producers and consumers. And that was something that hit me like a whack upside the head. I said, okay, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I could not agree more because uh, for for much of my life I pondered uh, the economic dependencies and the need for uh, the economic flows to be in balance. And when we look at where economic flows are not in balance, we see the kind of challenges that we have in, in some of our communities where there's been disinvestment, where there once was investment. And yet these communities are still very vital communities. In fact, they're huge consumers of things, but they're not producers at the level of equity. And so I think this has great bearing on our conversation today because mm-hmm. uh, so much of previous generations grew up just being on one side of the media uh, paradigm, you know, reading the paper every morning, watching the TV every evening, listening to the radio, but not ever thinking that they had opportunities of being uh, producers. Now, there's been breakthroughs from time to time, and, of course, you know, we've had, you know, whether it was in my town, in my time it was the Motown thing, and that exploded onto the world stage and changed global culture forever. Uh, there was there was the hip-hop phenomenon. But when it came to film and television, uh, there were still limited uh, activities. But now the, 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 the activities are just uh, unbridled. And so this digital activity, you know, it's changed filmmaking, it's changed videography, it's changed content production. And as you as I were talking before the show started, the whole phenomenon of YouTube is just unprecedented uh, on the face of this earth. The amount of content that is being put up on that platform and what that opened up for dialogue. And now when you look on YouTube, I tell people all the time, there's the Harvard Business School, there's uh, Yale uh, School of Architecture. There's uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. There's Yo Boy and My Boy. There's all kinds of content <laughs> that's out there, but it, it, you know it, 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 it crosses all 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 divisions, and so people have have got it now. How do we begin to not not just turn this into you know the corporate uh, uh, confines of, of you know how it's distributed, but really use these as points of leverage, much like you're doing, because you know your here your show is a perfect example of, and I don't know how long you've actually been at this, but there is an audience that greatly appreciates the, this conversation and this dialogue. And when I can sit down and listen to your show and hear thought leadership uh, of these people who are knee deep in the notion of the viability and and the the the, the time has come for broadband to be widely available you're part of the solution by allowing the conversation to be extended not just those that could be in the narrow confines of this conference or that conference or in dc or in the halls of the fcc you're taking it broadly to the people and the people are reacting because you know they're listening i'm sure you find people listening from all over the world mm-hmm. well we do get a couple from england that's for sure um <laughs> well let me actually let's pursue this thought in the context of what I know best, obviously, is the radio show, but I think that you and I are on the same wavelength, which is, um, if you go back 20 years, um, you know, to do the typical radio show, as similar to doing the typical TV show, you had to have a studio, you had to have a whole lot of expensive equipment. People had to, uh, for the most part, come into that studio to, to do um, to do an interview, and now from from where I'm sitting in Alameda, California, uh, with a with a laptop and a mic and a computer screen, I have the ability to do the traditional radio interview with callers and the whole works. But because of uh, uh, what what the heck is it? Facebook interaction, Twitter integration. Uh, instant messaging, chat room, and all the rest of it, it takes the radio show to a new level. Is that pretty much the same as been your experience with your TV production 
uh, Craig? Well, it's, it's quite an exciting story, Craig. Um, I, my opportunity was made possible because, uh, and it's really so, so, so interesting. When cable first came to uh, out of the cornfields of rural America and into the urban settings, there was these um, uh, franchise agreements that were negotiated by cities like New York and Philadelphia and Los Angeles and Detroit and Chicago. And when these franchise agreements were negotiated for cable TV to use the rights of way and to bring the cable down the alleys and down the uh, poles, uh, cities negotiated some things, and fortunately, the city of Chicago ne- negotiated with the cable uh, builders to have this thing called public access television. And public mm-hmm. access television said that along with uh, building out these networks, that one of the public benefits would be to provide some capacity that there would be channels on cable television that would include public information. And so in the city of Chicago, there are there are several channels that have been made available through these franchise agreements that have uh, allowed for the dispensation of uh, community beneficial content, uh, things that go on in the school board, things that go on in city council, things that come out of city hall, but also allowed for there to be an authentic community voice so that independent producers could produce content around a range of subjects that might be of interest to their specific communities and their demographics in which they serve. And so for I'm fortunate that here in Chicago, as part of those cable franchise agreements and the production of public cable access, um, that there is a studio here in Chicago, and it is well-equipped and uh, uh, well-outfitted. Some of the equipment now is a little old in the tooth, shall we say, but it still (laughs) is a high-quality production facility that dispenses information so independent producers like myself can come into a physical television studio and produce a high-quality, well-lit production that then is distributed via cable TV to every cable TV home in the city of Chicago, which is a quite sizable number. Now, here then comes this inflection point where the the challenge for me is a lot of times with my show, Technology Access Television, that focuses on uh, interviews of people in and involved with technology in the variety of flavors. So these are everybody from computer scientists to principals to CEOs of nonprofits to CTOs at large organizations, and it is a broad-ranging conversation uh, just much like you know, something, let's say, like I, I pattern my show a little bit after Charlie Rose, where I sit out and I just have a good, spirited conversation with people about what they do, what they're passionate about, why it makes a difference, and why anybody should care. And so because I'm very passionate and have spent most of my adult life in the computer IT and telecommunications industry, this was really just a chance for me to uh, show people why I was so passionate about this industry that I was involved with in all this flavor, shapes, and sizes. But the only people that could really see and take advantage of the conversation that happened on Technology Access Television were those people that were subscribers of cable TV in the city of Chicago. And no matter which franchise or side of the city you were on, if you had cable, you saw the show. Well, that still meant that there were people maybe that lived uh, in the outlying areas or in the suburbs or maybe in Indiana or Wisconsin. And they maybe wanted to see the show, but, of course, you know, the way the cable franchise agreements go, uh, it, it went up to the city limit and stopped. So if a person like in Chicago lived in Evanston or Oak Park or Orland Hills, it, it, it may be Comcast, but it wasn't part of Chicago Comcast cable, so they didn't see the public access channels in their community. So for many years, in fact, I've been doing this show for 14 years uh, every week, I uh, you know, was always frustrated to say, how am I going to get this show to be seen in other areas, and as I explored what it would take to establish servers and you know stream the show and do different things, we're always talking about, at least not always, but in the beginning we were talking about tens of thousands of dollars, a lot of expense, and it just was you know kind of a very difficult proposition for a nonprofit-based production to figure out how to scale up to do all those kinds of things. Well, here along comes this notion of 
broadband, along comes this notion of uh, streaming video, along comes this notion of uh, Vimeo and YouTube and other kinds of platforms. And I started dabbling in those platforms early on. Well, this unlocked a, a, a just a tremendous flood, not only for me, but of course for all the world. And what we've seen in the last uh, several years is just an unprecedented unleashing of the production of media. Uh, we've never seen anything like this on the planet in terms of the volume and the quality of content that's being produced and people being able to access that content. Now, at first, it was really tied, as you and I have talked about, to people that were fortunate enough to have broadband, fortunate enough to have a computer and sitting up in their home on a high-speed network that they could watch this stuff because, again, if we could think back to the day when you had to download video oh uh, over, a, yeah. <laughs> o, o, over a modem before, and you download all night and hope that when you got up in the morning you could see something, and then you get up and it said, you know, download failed. And you're like, oh, Jesus, I had to go through this again? And now people are literally pulling out their cell phones and sitting out in the park and say, hey, you know, somebody sent me this link to this YouTube or this blog talk radio show, and they're listening to the show on their headphones as they ride the train downtown to work and on and on and on. So mm -hmm. this is just a unprecedented activity. It is completely disrupting uh, the status quo as it was known, and now – Everybody's in a fight for the future. Uh, it, there is value in content. We hear, hear this all the time, content is king. But it's also community is king. You know, who, what community is interested in the content that they're willing to support, listen to, be part of the audience, and make sure that it, it stays in operation? So this, you know, as you mentioned, the convergence of all of these factors now have played a role uh, in the viability of these platforms moving forward. And as a friend of mine were, uh, and I were talking at breakfast today, the world is forever changed by the activities of the effective use of this platform for the election of one President Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. And because of his success at using these combination of skills to both raise money and then deploy money strategically in a, a methodical fashion, leveraging social media and YouTube and all. You know, again, when was the White House on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook before Barack Obama? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so now, you know, if you carry the president or don't carry the president, if you want to see what the president is talking about, you go to whitehouse.gov and you sit there and watch the president talking about something on YouTube, <laughs> mm -hmm. live from the White House or stream from the White House or whatever. So this is just a complete uh, unleashing of opportunity that you, I, and many are participating in, and you couldn't have more fun uh, any way you look at it. Mm -hmm. This is uh, you know, a, a pretty good summary of the, uh, the developments and, and what has actually happened as a result of bringing this technology into place. Um, what is it going to take to get more people to engage in this? And, and let me kind of pref preface this with a uh, an observation I made several years ago when I was in, in Philadelphia. And um, it was basically, uh, I was getting a little agitated that a lot of media was coming out saying wireless and mobile devices were the way to raise up the you know low income uh communities because you know Hispanics and African Americans are uh you know just just charging full force into the whole iPhone market and so forth and so on and everyone was trying to hold this up as you know the wave of the future get more iPhones and the more low income people's hands and and great things will happen but my my observation then, and I, this has got to be at least three, four years ago, was that the only thing this does, if you stop at that point, is you've just increased avenues of consumption, but you haven't given people the ability to produce the content, to produce the applications. Because in order to do that, you can't just give people 
um, mobile devices and upgrade the cellular networks, you've got to bring this gigabit stuff that we're, you know, working hard to get out into the rural areas. We got to bring that to the inner city, and we've got to bring, um, you know, better computers and computing devices because that's really what you need to develop the content that will eventually end up on these uh, devices. With that in well, mind, you're, 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 you're you exactly the production side. Well, you're, you're exactly right, and this is where I have the fortune of, of having this uh, very unusual opportunity to see this thing from a number of perspectives. As being a part of the uh, computer, corporate, IT, telecommunications industry, uh, I've worked for Control Data, Unisys, Sprint, uh, spent some time helping to deploy Apple computers, uh, Mac computers, establishing labs in the city colleges of Chicago, uh, working to, uh, I, I helped to bring PCs into Chicago government and all these kinds of things. So I've seen a number of sides to these multiple revolutions. And I'm completely in agreement that many, many people, I've never been a proponent of the term uh, digital divide. I don't use it. I don't talk about it. I don't believe in it. I believe that all communities are digital opportunists, and they find the technologies that are available to them conveniently accessible, and what you point out is very true. A lot of urban communities uh, across the planet, uh, you know, the truth is the first experience with the Internet of more people on planet Earth happened when somebody put a mobile device in their hand and they saw and sent an email for the first time. Some people have only seen the Internet. And I'm just talking about the United States. I'm talking about India. I'm talking about Africa. I'm talking about, you know, this little company called Nokia is from Finland, you know, that that changed this whole planet's idea around mobility and what's possible. So when you talk about the, the, the players who are involved at the infrastructure level and then also what you're talking about, which I think is the key, and most people absolutely miss this, because I was around, you know, Tropos and Earthlink and the concepts for Philadelphia. Chicago was about to go down that same path and bailed out at the last minute. And so these notions of I, I've been around, you know, the uh, community com computer center movement and CTCs and, uh, you know, worked to establish CTCs throughout Illinois and, and been on, you know, I was part of the founding of CTC Net Chicago and, and on and on and on. So I've been in so many different sides of this industry and seen these stories. But the thing that, that you just pointed out and so many people missed that is absolutely critical and what I'm delighted to say to you today, Craig, is I'm seeing for the first time people get that, that they have to encourage people to be content producers. If you want adoption, all this talk, you know, all this talk about, well, what is it going to take to get people to adopt and use broadband? Look, if they're looking at their stories, if they're, if they're part of the landscape of the economics of it, why wouldn't they be interested in seeing and monetizing their own lifestyle? So, you know, don't just worry about what it's going to take to sell them something. Let them buy and sell some things, and you won't have any problem in adoption whatsoever. So this notion of, it's, of raising up the level, and so this is just such a wonderful opportunity, and I'm seeing so many good signs today. Uh, two things I'll just point out as an example. I, I ran into uh, a young lady from San Francisco who started something called Black Girls Code, and it's it's been going on, you know, it didn't really just start with her, but she's promoting this idea that young African-American girls need to get exposed to writing applications and creating code and learning how to program. And the same thing is going on all throughout this country, or at least should be. And that means that teaching young people in Chicago, in New York, in Manhattan, in Winston-Salem, in Charlotte, in Atlanta, in San Jose, how to be a part of this exciting, uh, uncharted area of creating apps, of, of writing programs, of producing content, of generating uh, the kind of information they want to see on the web that verifies and validates their notions about what's possible. And, and we're seeing success stories literally every day of people that are creating. Look, the story of Instagram 
is a story of a few guys that got together and created one photo-taking and sharing app. And because Michelle Obama happened to have the co-founders sitting with her at, at one of the uh, uh, State of the Union, uh, the, the, the thing became an overnight hit. And shortly thereafter, the few founders sold the company for a billion dollars to Facebook. That's possible today when people create. When they create, they say, hey, I have a notion. You know, the guys that started YouTube, most of them emanated out of the city of Chicago. And they were students at the University of Illinois Chicago campus and then went west and met up with some other friends and came up with this idea. It wasn't such a haughty idea at the time they came up with of a video sharing site. They were just thinking about it as young people wanted to do. But it turned into something much bigger than they ever envisioned. And certainly Google came in and helped cement this capacity, thank God, this being a big part of this revolution. So I think, you know, you have hit the nail on the head that what it's going to take isn't about, uh, again, at, in some people's view, you know, let them eat 3G or let them eat 4G. Wireless <laughs> is good, but it's not the whole enchilada. Please, mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. I have some solid fiber infrastructure? Because, and, and this is, a, you know, a big part of it, Craig, and that is, you know, and, and you can tell some people's attitudes and how they want to focus on downstream speed. Well, you know, we're, 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 you, you can get three meg download. You can get four meg download. You can get up to ten meg. Look what LTE can do. I don't care about that. What can I get bidirectional both ways? Can I get thirty meg both ways? Can I get fifty meg both? Can I get a hundred meg both ways, up and down? Because I'm, I want to get my content up as a TV producer. I'm concerned as how long does it take me to upload a half hour high definition show? Do I want it to be two days, one day? or 15 minutes or three minutes. If I can put content up quickly, that means my consumers, my, my, my community, my audience, you know, it, it can, can, can be up with my conversation as quick as I can create a conversation. So that really, to me, is the paradigm, a bidirectional, high-speed, both ways that's available so I can consume and I can produce. Okay. So, so, so the net of it is the, the download discussion is really about uh, coming from the same mindset of we, the central information owners, <laughs> are pushing data out to the masses, as was done since you know the the 40s and 50s with what TV and radio were then, which was just basically literally a broadcast. I mean that was the nature of that's it. Right. I guess that's sort of the origin of, of broadcast was one person or one company basically broadcasted out to as many entities that could pick it up. But it was, but really, all it was focusing on was consumers, and the whole advertising structure was based around it. And 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 our communication mindset has been sort of anchored into that. Exactly. And when you look at the revolution of e-commerce, and you look at companies like Amazon and Zappos and eBay and Priceline, they could not even exist if the only thing they could do is live on a download. They have to be able to, you, you, you know how, in order for a company like Orbitz or, 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 or Priceline or Travelocity to exist, they exist on the timeliness and up-to-dateness of their data that is accessible by, 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 by consumers. So that means that they have to have a reliable, fault-tolerant, uh, no single point of failure capacity to upload, maintain, keep that content up-to-date, and and it's, it, it 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 absolutely depends on having uh, not just the, you know it's not just about the consumption it's about the production uh, of content. So we see, uh, I, you know, I'm a big proponent of open source tools, tools like WordPress. Uh, me and a friend of mine we started the Chicago WordPress Meetup group uh, three or four years ago, and we didn't really know everything that we were doing, but we just said content management is important. Blogging is important. Social media is important. So we got together in a Starbucks, uh, two or three of us, and we said, let's start this thing called the Chicago WordPress Meetup Group and show people how to use WordPress and go up and start a blog and do all that kind of thing. Well, here a couple of years later, we've got about eight or 900 or so people that are members of this uh, WordPress Meetup Group here in Chicago. I think it's the you know, 13th or 14th largest collection of WordPress people on the planet. WordPress now is responsible for 
somewhere around 10, 15, 20% of websites and content uploads and content management and people going to the site. So this little thing that started out as a somewhat you know, innocuous blog platform has become a full-fledged multimedia content management system that's used by everybody from CNN to Tech Access TV. And, and so these tools that are powerful and used for the management, maintenance, uploading, downloading of content now have unleashed a new media paradigm. And so, like you said, it, it's about time that a change has come, but the change has come with a new mindset that just being consumers is never going to create an economic balance uh, that we need. And when now we have so many communities that are desperate for job creation and economic impact, now we can start to see that maybe through the deployment of these next-generation gigabit uh, networks, now we can start to see some leveling of the economic playing field, and we can have success stories uh, like, like we've had here in Chicago. There was this company that was started a couple of three years ago by a uh, former uh, grad student at the University of Chicago who had an idea uh, that, you know, if he put a deal online and some people wanted that deal, that if enough of them wanted the deal, that the deal could be a tipping point and create uh, a big opportunity for everybody who wanted to take advantage of it. Um, it was really based off the notions that Malcolm Gladwell actually espoused in his book, The Tipping Point, uh, but they fidgeted with it a little bit and came up with this company called, as it's known today, Groupon. Well, Groupon is, again, a very elemental idea, not rocket science. In fact, most of the people that actually are employed by this company, that what they say went from zero to 2,500 employees and the fastest that's ever been in the United States or anywhere else for that matter, are basically people that are sitting on the end of a call center calling small and medium-sized businesses, finding deals and posting deals and emailing out to those people that want those deals. And now, even though the company's only been around less than three years, the majority of the activity that's driving the economic engine for that yet-to-be-fully-proven business is happening on broadband and mobile devices. So my point is you couldn't have the economics that could create that kind of job engine without having robust facilities-based infrastructure that supports the maintaining of that content in a bi-directional fashion so that when consumers go to the sites, sites are up, content is there, it's fresh, it's revived, it's dynamic, it includes audio, video, uh, and, and it, Craig, that makes me think about this something again. Look what's just happened in the last year with the whole conversation around crowdfunding, where, you know, now people, if you look at Indiegogo, Kickstarter, and, and all these other platforms that have jumped out here, the primary thing that is so critical to the success of, a, of one of these crowdfunding campaigns is what? Having a good video, you know, having something that could tell your story. And people have not only raised a couple of hundred dollars or a couple of thousand dollars to do quality neighborhood-based projects. Some of these guys have raised a couple of million dollars to create big products or big films. Or you know, it's just amazing what's going on. And so that's the idea of the unleashing and the value of content creation, content production, and content consumption. So now, if I follow that, you know, the the logic of these last five or ten minutes, when we're having discussions with communities about, you know, the value of a gigabit network, the value of a high, you know, super high speed internet access network, is economic development. I think the typical suspects that get rolled in, you know, we talk about uh, bringing jobs, uh, bringing companies to town. We talk about making existing companies more effective because they can compute and market to different parts of the world and so forth. We kind of have a set laundry list of about, I don't know, four or five things and say, oh, well, this is all how we can do that. It sounds like we're overlooking another key element of the economic development equation, which is bringing in these high-speed networks and transforming the ability to just move content back and forth in new and different ways. Well, Craig, you know, let's 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 think like this. There was a small 
house in Detroit that I think was called Hitsville. It was associated with this guy, Barry Gordy, and this company called Motown. And he went into this house and generated content. He had these heretofore unknown acts, The Temptations, The Supreme, Smokey Robinson, The Miracles, Stevie Wonder, and they created content, all of which was in an analog environment. You know, they went into rooms and they laid down tracks and they recorded tracks and then they went somewhere and sent out and had records pressed. That little house on a side street in Detroit changed the planet forever. And at its heyday, Barry Gordy's Motown was one of the largest privately owned successful businesses in these United States certainly within his community and the African-American community. Now, there was no Internet then. How did he get the word out? You know, uh, uh, how, how did, you know, all the kinds of things that went into the expense of generating, and, and certainly here in Chicago, uh, there's the famous John Johnson of Johnson Publishing, Ebony and Jet. And, and over the years, John Johnson was such an amazing entrepreneur uh, was one of the first uh, black-owned radio stations here in Chicago uh, uh, that was very successful and did so many things with programs. Had a TV thing. that He tried a lot of different things. It really opened a lot of doors. Many people didn't see. And a lot of this was un- unreasonably expensive because of all the impediments and the middlemen that were in between getting product to the consumer. Well, much of that, uh, those impediments are now removed where people can go straight to their intended community or audience, and the audience is walking around with the ability to be connected in their pocket. So now there's some – so I, I, I'm complete – what I'm saying is that it has been missed. It's absolutely been missed because these communities have been looked at as glasses half empty versus glasses 99% full. Mm-hmm. These are communities like in, commun- like in Chicago – that have produced Langston Hughes, John Johnson, Quincy Jones, blues, jazz, gospel, you know, authentic content that only they have created. Some of the only legitimate cultural, you know, contributions from this country ever that only happened because of these communities and their creativity, uh, their, their, their in, in inherent capacity to produce creatively. So now we've got to figure out how to uh, mine these kinds. And so I, 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 you know, Richard Florida, uh, the uh, uh, the writer and economist and thinker out of Canada, has been writing about this for a long time, talking about cities and urban areas tapping into their creative class. This is exactly what's going on in Chattanooga. Chattanooga, you know, built that great gigabit network. And what happened? Chattanooga woke up, <laughs> and now they found all this talent that's in Chattanooga. And, yeah, they were concerned about, you know, Volkswagen and Amazon and some of the companies coming down there. But right now they're more concerned about, I think, next week you're going down there for Gig Tank. They're having their own uh, entrepreneur idol saying, what are the ideas that we have? And we've got some capital, and we've got some smart people, and we've got some folks that can think up some new. In fact, we have the platform in our backyard that nobody else has. And some of what the utility and the community are doing have never before been done. So now they're the thought leaders. We want to go down to Chattanooga and see what they're doing so we can learn how to do it correctly here in Chicago when we begin to deploy a gigabit network working with Gigabit Square and on the south side in in urban Chicago. We want to go to Kansas City and see what Google's doing in Kansas City. We want to go to San Leandro and down to um, uh, Louisiana and see what these places have had these networks uh, are doing. And thanks to a show like yours, it's a very small world. We're communicating. I, I, I love the show you did with the guy from um, EPB and down in Chattanooga. Now we are connected to that kind of information, and we can say, hey, guess what? We can light up our own creative class. And so I agree with you 100%. We have, we've always looked at something having to come in from the outside to make non-adopters think differently, not realizing that uh, we've got people right in our own backyards 
who've got stories and content and messages to communicate. And when these messages got out previously, they changed the world. That's pretty powerful when you think about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I, I started my show, Technology Access Television, again, much, you know, a, as a computer industry geek, wanting my industry to get a little more visibility in the media landscape in Chicago. There weren't regular stories in the the printed publications about what was going on in software and hardware and telecommunications. There weren't stories uh, on radio about community tech centers and what was going on in high schools and communities and the adoption of computers and the computer clubs and different things. And so my little nonprofit uh, cable access TV show has been the longest-running weekly cable TV show t- uh, focusing on technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship in the city of Chicago and maybe around the country, interviewing and talking to people from professors to government officials, and 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 I've really, you know, gotten, you know, think things have changed over these 14 years that I've been doing the show. So obviously, you know, new technologies have come. Uh, you know, I, I've had people here talking about Oracle. I've had people here talking about Cisco. I've had people here talking about Wi-Fi. I've had people talking about libraries getting wired up and what they've been doing, public housing getting wired up and what they've been doing. And it's been a marvelous activity. But now to be connected with you and people like Intelligent Communities Forum and uh, people like U.S. Ignite, uh, you know, this thing is starting to, 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 to catch some steam. And yet the thing that hasn't happened is people are still, like like in my vantage point, I happen to be fortunate enough to uh, uh, the governor appointed me to be involved with uh, Broadband Illinois, the Partnership for Connected Illinois, the organization that oversees the dispensation of the broadband stimulus dollars, the uh, NTIA BTOP and those monies that have come into Illinois. And I've seen... Uh, tens of millions of dollars be invested on every end of Illinois, building out middle mile and fiber infrastructure. And yet, right where I live, in the city of Chicago, on the south side, you know, right out the back door of the University of Chicago, many of communities that if you ever said, well, you know, cities, you guys got everything. No, we don't have everything. We don't have uh, gigabit scale uh, networks. We don't have the real bi-directional speed we need, and I can say specifically as a media producer, I don't have what I need to produce my shows, upload them in a timely manner, um, uh, be able to be responsive to my audience by getting, and so I, I, I tell people all the time, the day the network becomes available in my community, you don't have to worry about it, I'm going to be the first subscriber. Because I need that speed to do what it is I do and encourage people around me, you know, because there's stories that aren't getting out and aren't getting told about the entrepreneurs and the creatives and the difference makers in my community. And the more outlets we have for that, the more those stories will get out and there will be economic vitality around those stories that spark the entrepreneurs to do what they do and generate the jobs to turn these communities around. Mm Mm-hmm. Which leads me to a, um, I guess, a a punctuation or a semicolon at this particular point, which is, you know, we had um, uh, the other Bruce on uh, from Harlem uh, (laughs) a couple weeks ago, and um, we talked about, you know, the, the technology, using the technology to change communities, and you know, a lot of this discussion that happens in the traditional media is about, you know, giving people the access so they can go find, you know, look for a job. And it's interesting that I've done, you know, I've done this survey of economic development professionals for, I don't know, four or five years now. And in in survey after survey, finding a job is the bottom of the of the list as far as what they see the economic value of broadband is to the individual. They cite things like improving individual skills to advance in their profession, to increase individuals' abilities to become entrepreneurs. I mean, we have we have sort of 
seen a narrative develop that says I don't know that, that I think has made the you know the the deployment of technology a very narrow one dimensional you know give them access to wireless devices when really somebody needs to grab the 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 medium by the horn and say you know really you know what you want to do is you want to transform communities with this technology and if you buy that you have to buy the fact that you know just giving people wireless access isn't going to cut it and maybe we should get you know both the bruces and a few other people on 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 the show to talk about this but i feel like this is what's being missed in the discussion about broadband as it pertains to uh, urban america and am, am i am i way off base does this no be you, like- you you are way on base and if you know Bruce Lincoln, my my hats off to Bruce, and and I just love Bruce, and I love what he's been doing there in Harlem and in Columbia University. And it's it's people like Bruce Lincoln and myself and others that have been you know uh, collectively visioning um, and meditating on these kinds of potentials, and 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 finally because of not in a small measure that this President Barack Obama was thoughtful enough to include this broadband program to be part of what this dialogue is going on. You know, I, you know when, I, when I first heard your name, I think I first heard your name through Esme Voss. And I was one of those people that used to read her Muni Wireless newsletter. You know? Oh, right. So... <laughs> so you know, a lot of us have been on the fringes, but we we couldn't necessarily talk to each other. I, I think I went to you know one or two of Esme's uh, conferences, and again, my hats off to the guys at Intelligent Community Forum because they invite me every year to come to New York, and sometimes I can make it, and sometimes I can't. But there are folks out there like that that are thinking holistically about the fabric. And what I like about the way Intelligent Community Forum does it is that. They're looking at it on a global scale because that's the only way you can look at it, Craig. It's not just what's going on in Cleveland or Chicago or Cincinnati or San Jose. It's what's going on in Estonia. It's what's going on in Barcelona. It's what's going on, of course, in in the famed uh, 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 Seoul, Korea, and, and what's going on in Tokyo. We're talking about globally competitive, and 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 so we have the creativity. And we need, and I believe that if you go into the halls of Intel and Cisco and you go into the the halls of MIT, as I'm likely to do all the time, you know that we can do better. We can do better. We deserve high-quality fiber-based infrastructure. You know, it's no reason. I, I remember doing a project for the redevelopment of public housing in the city of Chicago. And I was appraised that they were going to tear down the old form of public housing and tear it down to the ground. And I said, well, you know, if you're going to do that, clear away the landscape of these old buildings, that's the perfect time to put fiber infrastructure in. And that way, whatever you build on top of it will have the potential of being smart. Smart in so many different ways. Smart in terms of energy management. Smart in terms of communication. Smart in terms of home-based education and health care services. I, I didn't even know what I was talking about, but that's, I was talking about it anyway. Well, when they <laughs> tore the public housing down to the ground and rebuilt it, they didn't put in the fiber infrastructure that they should have put in. And one of the comments that were made is somebody told me along the way, well, why would we do that? What would those people want with that kind of capacity? Well, needless to say, they sold that to the wrong brother because they had a fight on their hands when I heard that. Give me a break. Who doesn't want, you know, distance learning? Who doesn't want telemedicine and telehealth? Who doesn't want e-commerce and economic activity? Look, ask UPS and FedEx where the UPS truck and the FedEx go. Some of the biggest adopters of e-commerce are people that don't have the choice within their own community, and UPS truck is running up and down the street every day delivering orders from people who are delivering the products and services they need in their community. Now, Amazon says, well, we should have local delivery. We should have warehouses in every state. We should not be a day away from anybody who wants a product or service. And the markets are supporting them doing that. So then that means that there is an economic imbalance. And we do need to think about 
these fiber networks uh, 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 different ways. And so, again, fortunately, because of what you and others are doing, that we're starting to we, – we've got to get this conversation out of uh, academia. And, again, my hat's off to Blair Levin, what he did with, um, you know, the Gigabit Project to get the big anchor institutions on board uh, was important work. But we still have to get this project more granular. We've got to get more communities to take a reference point of why this is so valuable today. And we're in a race. You know, uh, the big guys are printing money. And there's never been nothing more profitable than the deployment of these wireless uh, resources. And everybody can sit back and look at what they're spending on wireless and just, you know, be aghast at the uh, the, the portion of their uh, free cash flow that's going to, you know, pay these uh communications fees and yet all you know sometimes these things won't even make a good phone call <laughs> so <laughs> we got to have some options I, I i'm a big proponent of wireless i love wireless wireless wi-fi is what's got me reignited about the potential of adoption and computers and mobility is everything uh, I, I love tablets i love these uh, high performance mobile devices but I also love people learning how to produce content, learning how to get in studios, light, uh, light uh, scenes, uh, record content, get in an editing room, work with Final Cut Pro, do pre- and post-production, uh, do effects and those types of things, as, and, and on and on and on. And when, when, when people learn those skill sets, and can produce at the level of art and craft, then I believe the rest will take care of itself, and we will have a, a Ralph Ellison, a Langston Hughes, a Barry Gordy, a, a Denzel Washington, people who have great ability to tell important stories and have those stories generate a, a, a cultural shift and community change. And there's exciting things that are happening in all of these communities um, around learning these skills to be producers, not just consumers. Mm -hmm. Now, no, no pressure or anything, but I want to get a five-minute, uh, I don't know, two or three points how communities can move forward. We, we clearly, you know, you've articulated a vision of where and how we need to get to but how do we get folks off the dime? What are the one or two things that communities need to do to actually start moving this train forward? But you got to do it in five minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, I think clearly I look at my own experience. I was an unintended producer. Uh, I was on my happy way in the computer industry, uh, you know, traveling around corporate America, doing my thing. And somebody pulled my coat and said, you need to be more connected with the community. And then I got involved with the CTC movement and all the rest. But because there was a cable access uh, community facility that I could go to, uh, take classes, uh, learn how to light, learn how to shoot, learn how to edit, and then have a studio available to me where I could produce the content that I had a vision about, that created the next 14 years of my life producing this body of work. So there needs to be a capacity. You know, one thing that kind of got wiped away under some previous administrations was these community technology centers. Well, I think we need to bring these community technology centers back with a vengeance, where these are places people can go and learn how to do WordPress development, how to shoot and edit and produce and upload YouTube video, how to take advantage of these networks and, and so we need, along with building out this fiber infrastructure, which is so critically important, we need to bring back these community-based, community anchor institutions that teach and un teach people and to demonstrate how to effectively use these. You know, I, I was talking this morning to a friend of mine who's a great uh, community developer and educator uh, here in Chicago uh, ab about Khan Academy. And Khan Academy, as you know, was an idea of a young man who said, why not try to create a wellspring of educational content that's available to anybody? 
So if somebody is curious about biology or curious about physics or curious about uh, whatever they're curious about, and maybe there is not a great teacher on the premise of their uh, academic institution, they can still access that content somewhere else. So having we have great teachers in our community, great teachers of music, great teachers of literature, great teachers of art. If we start this movement in these communities and create these centers of excellence around the production you know, the craft of production, that I think these can be the kind of anchor institutions. So oftentimes I think it's just like in the city of Chicago when they negotiated the terms and conditions that created public access, and that allowed a funding stream to be in place. So, what you know, it doesn't happen without money. So when we negotiate some of these things and pull down some of these uh, grants and things, some of these grants should go to the capacity of not only I wouldn't even limit it just to the production of content. I would also uh, make sure that, and, and I've called for this within broadband Illinois, to say, are we training people and showing them how to splice fiber, how to test and manage networks, how to maintain uh, Cisco optical infrastructure, so that they could be part of the process of building, deploying, managing, and maintaining these networks, not just have people ride in on trucks from who knows where, and they're doing something nobody, what are they doing with that big orange cable laying it down the middle of the street? We should be laying that big orange cable down the middle of the street and splicing and maintaining, managing, testing, and optimizing wired and wireless infrastructure. That That's an economic opportunity, and people will learn how to do it better, uh, do it with more resiliency, do it with more maintainability, make it green, make it sustainable. And so on, on both sides of the network, both the operational efficiency side of the network and what content rides on top of the network, there should be facilities in the community for understanding and learning how to be a part of that complete ecosystem. I think communities do themselves a disservice if they don't have those type of facilities that give them an on-ramp to being economic participants in the deployment of these networks. And I'm going to go out on the limb here and say, you know, a radical but useful endeavor might be to take every $100 million that a state or a the feds want to put into a prison and put it into developing tech centers and educational centers for teaching people these new digital skills, I, I, I would just say that, you know, that that $100 million redirect would probably have some huge economic impacts in a lot of different communities. And, and communities need to, to do this on their own. Uh, I, I've got the good fortune uh, of, of there's a great, great uh, community uh, gentleman in, in Chicago that's done so many things over the years in community development uh, that runs a very highly respected community organization and uh, faith center, uh, Metropolitan Apostolic Church. And right next to the church, there was a building that had laid vacant for many, many years. It was an old house. I don't know when it was built, and it was just really sitting there boarding up next to this very famous historic church in Chicago's uh, south side. And uh, so he had a vision of taking that that building, gutting it out, rebuilding it, and what he did was instead of just turning it into a place where people can have meetings and whatever, he outfitted this building with uh, some very exciting technology infrastructure. And hopefully it can be one of the models uh, uh, of what we're talking about. Uh, he's calling it the urban uh, media facility, but it could be a place where this kind of thing can happen, where we can see – people getting excited about the producing and understanding of what it takes to technically uh, manage streaming, what it takes to technically produce high-quality digital video media, how to edit, how to produce, and then how to get it out and up into where people can access it. And then we have others that come on and have the important dialogues and conversations like you're having because, believe you me, uh, there is a new school of, social, community, economic, education, spiritual, health, and holistic life development that needs to be a conversation so people can understand how to take care of the inside of themselves as well as the outside of themselves. And we will see, just like we heard the news this week, uh, when our sister Oprah Renfrey had this great experiment of the own network, and it struggled for a while. But I think she's caught her 
wind when she returned to talking about her core belief and vision that people are spiritual beings living in a spiritual world, having a spiritual experience, and I want to satisfy their souls with some content. And when she had the guts enough to do that, the viewers came back, the community came back, and now that network is successful. So, And the, Bruce, Bruce, I'm going to have to interrupt you. Bruce, I know we're on a roll, but we're just about <laughs> to cut off. Thank you very, very much. This has been an awesome discussion. I thank you, Craig. It's delightful to be here, and I'm going to be one of your avid supporters, of course, as we continue. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Excellent. I'll call you in a second. Hold on. All right.